please take a seat. We are going to sing another song in a little bit, but we're just going to um, have a little bit of testimony. Uh, it's always really good to hear what God is doing, and um, I asked Tom if he'd be able to come up and share something that we've been chatting about, and yeah, we can have either, or do you want that one. Um, yeah, so Gary asked me to come up and to share um, something about um, the baptismal service that we had a couple of weeks ago, because what people don't always hear is the encouragement that we receive as leaders. There's always, there's always some negativity as well, that's the nature of leadership, isn't it? You know, you get people having their moans and their gripes, and that's, that's fine, you know, we should be able to share that as a church family, but one of the biggest privileges of leadership is when people from outside of the church come into the church and say, wow, this is fantastic. And normally they say that to leaders. And so we've got a duty to pass that on and to share that encouragement with one another so that as a church we can, we can glorify God and give thanks to him for what he's doing amongst us. So two weeks ago we had a, um, a baptismal service and, um, and Gary spoke. And first of all, I've got to share something with you you might not know. Five minutes before that service, a lady came up to Gary and said, Oh, hello there. Just to let you know, I'm from MINREC. That's Ministerial Recognition from the uh, Eastern Baptist Association. I'm here to assess your preach tonight. So, <laughs> bit of pressure straight away. And he sort of covered it really well. He went, oh, hi. It's like a nervous first date. Hi. Good to meet you. Thanks for coming. Oh. But he pulled off a blinder. He preached so well because he preached a challenging sermon telling people to consider who they think Jesus is. And people responded. People were challenged. And that question was left hanging throughout the sermon. And so, um, Gary, I want to say, be encouraged because that was, that was really well delivered. You know, the glory goes to God, but we should encourage one another. But also, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, as a minister of this church, can you please encourage your church? Because I want to give thanks for what you've done for my daughter, one of the young ladies who was being baptised. So that is awesome. So I want to share that with you. Be encouraged, because that wouldn't have been heard by the people on the door, the people putting the chairs away, the people serving in the kitchen. And we should share that encouragement. God is working in this church. Other people... Um, someone else came up to me and said, tell me more about baptism. I want to know. I, I have a faith, but I've never really thought about baptism. Why do I need to be baptised? And I was able to have that conversation and, again, leave the challenge. Ask yourself, why do you need to get baptised? And it was, a, it was a really productive conversation. Someone else came, away, um, came up to us and said, I've felt really connected. I've come in here tonight and there's been a really warm welcome in the church. Again, Give thanks for that. Celebrate that. God works through us. Somebody else sent an email the following day saying how much they'd enjoyed coming to the church, seeing the baptismal service, and actually said, would it be all right if I was to come again? So we share this not to big ourselves up and say, hey, aren't we great? We share this to celebrate what God is doing in this church. Because we're very good at kicking each other when we make mistakes. 
And sometimes that's right to do, but we should also make sure we're good at encouraging one another because it's a biblical precedent. We need to lift each other up. Being a Christian is hard enough if we don't celebrate the good times. And that was a good time. Three young ladies got baptised and gave their life to Christ and others were challenged to do the same. And that's what we're all about. Glory to God, but be encouraged in your faith and in your church. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to encourage, uh, always good to hear. And, and it's one of the things we just talked about. We heard so much as leaders ab- about the encouraging stuff, and we just want to share that and, and say, you know, well done, church. Well done. It's, you know, God, God loves us as, as his children. And uh, we're going to sing another song uh, now, Good, Good Father. And I had the privilege this afternoon of, of, of becoming a really proud dad as, as my son Toby won a cup final. Uh, it was brilliant, and it, was, it's, it always reminds me of, of the joy of that kind of thing, of, of seeing uh, your, your child do really well in whatever it might be. And it gives you that sense of, that's my child. And I, that's, I believe that's the God that we serve. That's our Father, that he looks upon every single one of us and says, well done, well done, son, well done, daughter, that was really good. So we're going to sing Good, Good Father. It's a really appropriate song as we can give glory uh, to our Father in heaven who is really good. So let's stand, shall we, and sing Good, Good Father. Thank you, Father. You are a good God. Amen. Please take a seat. We're going to be um, sharing communion uh, this evening, slightly different, um, as usual. (laughs) Uh, Nothing normal with the youth service um, around tables, but we'll come on to that in a little bit. Um, Thank you, Christine, for putting that up. Christine just questioned, I said, can you put that up just as I'm about to start? And she says, are we being rescued from you preaching then? (laughs) Bless you. And uh, I said, yeah, kind of. Um, Recently, I've been spending quite a lot of my downtime uh, going back to my first kind of love and hobby of carpentry. And uh, I've just been making things. Some people have seen what I've been making and, and just... Just in, in that time where I've got that spare time, is just switching off and creating. So it's lovely that we've got creative stuff tonight. That's how I kind of like have my downtime. Others do different stuff. Um, and um, whilst I'm, 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 I'm out in my workshop, I've got a little sound system, and I've been playing some old CDs that I had when I was a lot younger. Uh, Christian worship CDs are delirious. Um, classic Delirious, and um, David Crowder uh, as well. If you've never heard of David Crowder, really, really clever Christian musician who really gets you thinking. And uh, one of the songs that David Crowder sings is Rescue is Coming. And he's, it's, it's a song about kind of don't worry. You, there is a rescuer that is coming. He will come for us. You know, in your, in your darkest hour, your darkest need, never give up because the rescuer is coming. And that's kind of the title of what I'm going to speak about tonight. Because it's, it's, there's always a number of things that roll around in my head when I'm asked to speak. 
and I kind of have to pick out what's mine and what's God saying. And um, I still had kind of like this, this, this evening rolling around my head and saying, okay, Lord, what is it? And I felt the Lord gave me something way before, a long time ago, just to reiterate something that I've been kind of questioning. And the thing that, that kind of like gets me is, as we look around the world today, this world that's around us today, I think we've got to ask the question, why is everybody disagreeing with each other? Why are we all at loggerheads? Why are there such strong divisions across nearly all aspects of culture and humanity? I don't think I've ever seen division as as big as this in all the time that I've been alive. They just seem everywhere you turn, there's this division. And there was a theologian called Karl Barth who advised ministers um, to take the Bible and your newspaper. I haven't got my newspaper on me, so actually I'll just get out the social media side of things. <laughs> That's a lot of it these days, isn't it? Your apps, your news apps and everything else on your phone. He's, he's, you could probably say that. Take your take your Bible and take what your social media is and what you're, you're gathering from there and read both, but interpret newspapers and what you're kind of seeing on social media through the lens of Scripture. What's the Bible saying about what's going on today? Now, I don't read a newspaper um, not since I was on the building site years ago, and I wouldn't exactly call them newspapers. They're more like toilet paper, some of them, to be honest with you. Uh, they were quite rubbish. It wasn't exactly news. Um, so I don't really new- read a newspaper. Uh, you know, I think quite a lot of us would say that we would probably go to a news app sometime and look at it, or TV, or, or whatever is going on. Um, and I think as I work for young people, I find a lot of their information is gleaned from <laughs> this little thing. And things are texting me already, so thanks, Mum. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting how we engage with news, and we see and hear it on different platforms. Um, but always remember, always remember, especially with the social media kind of stuff, loads of fake news. <laughs> you know, it's a huge thing, isn't it, in, in the media, that, that there is stuff out there that... You know, you, you watch, you read, and you're thinking, oh, look at that, that is terrible. And then you find out that actually it never happened, it wasn't true, and you've made a bit of a fool of yourself for kind of like claiming it was. So you have to be really, really careful of, of, of looking at it, which actually sometimes it's really good to go to a newspaper and look at it um, because they have a bit of comeback on it as well. Um, so when you look at the division we see in society today, I have to turn to Scripture and search there. Now, as a young man, my, my hunger and my thirst uh, for trying to work out end-time prophecy was huge. It was massive. Uh, I probably read more books on end-time understanding of when Jesus would come back than any other kind of book that I would read apart from Scripture, um, and maybe apart from Genesis as well, because I kind of stuck there a little bit, which was good. Uh, My thinking always was, if God says I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, um, then I wanted to find out more about the beginning and the end. I wanted to know why we're here and how we got here. And I want to know where I'm going. How's it all going to end? And and what I'm learning now in life is there's a whole massive middle bit (laughs) 
<laughs> that we're kind of like trying to get our way through. But for me, it's always the focus on why am I here? Where am I going? Why am I here? Where am I going? And my inspiration for looking at kind of end time stuff starts in the Gospels. And it was Matthew 24, where Jesus himself is questioned by the disciples. And they say, when will we know where the end of the time, you know, the, the, the time of the Son of Man is coming? And Jesus goes on for the whole of Matthew 24, explaining the signs that you should look out for. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole of Matthew 24 tonight. You'll be pleased to know. Um, but um, I, I always say, if you want to find out a few more bits about it, start there. Start with what Jesus is saying. Always start, I say, with what Jesus is saying about it. Because it's so much stuff that Jesus says about uh, the final days that we don't really take the credit, um, look at it and give it credit to him for what he says. So I always look to Matthew 24. Um, I've read Revelation over and over. I've tried to understand it. <laughs> sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, and I dip into the Old Testament prophecies, looking at Ezekiel, Daniel, etc., etc. So as I was kind of like pondering on the division that we, I can see in the world today, you know, even Toby has mentioned Brexit in the notices. I mean, wow. <laughs> but we, we, it's huge. It's a huge thing for our nation right now. We are divided on it. It's as simple as that. So I want us to actually look at a little bit of prophecy tonight, which I think might just give us a little bit of a helpful understanding. And there's some Bibles on the tables. Um, You can follow on your phones as well if you've got your Bible app as well. Um, And I want us to look at Daniel 2. Okay? So Daniel 2, um, really good passage of Scripture. I'm not going to read all of it. What I'm going to do is I'll give you a brief history of what's happened to Daniel. If you do need more, if we do need more Bibles, then um, we can get Ian, Ian can get them. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, so set the scene. Um, Babylon has ransacked Jerusalem, uh, taken many of the inhabitants of Jerusalem off to Babylon, including Daniel and some others. Uh, they will have royal descent of nobility. Uh, young men, it says, without physical defect and handsome. I'd like to think that I was probably one of those that was taken. Maybe not. <laughs> Daniel starts everything off by actually saying, I don't want to eat the choice foods that the king is offering us. It's not good for us. I don't want to eat that. So he and his friends uh, say that we're just going to eat vegetables, and I bet you that we will be uh, healthier and better in what we can do for the king than everybody else is eating the choicest fruits. And um, that's basically what happens. They were healthier and fitter, and that's where we get then, they took away the choice foods for all of these guys and and got them to eat vegetables and fruits. It's actually where we get something called the Daniel Fast, uh, where it's just a fruit and vegetables fast. And I probably need to go on it at some point, Uh, just saying that. Um, In Daniel 2, the king has a dream that really deeply troubles him, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he summons the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers. Sound like a really good crew of blokes, don't they? A bit scary. And he, he, he says to them, please interpret my dream. Now, they ask the king to say, well, what is the dream that we can sum it up? 
And the king says, if you're as good as you lot say you are, then you'll know my dream. You'll know what I'm dreaming. And if you don't tell me what the dream is, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Talk about pressure and on the spot. (laughs) No one wants to be cut in pieces. It's as simple as that. Now, the wise men, it says in Daniel 2, give loads of excuses as to saying, no man could do this. No man could do what you ask. And the king gets really angry and he orders their execution. Now, that includes Daniel and his friends who weren't even there at the time. Poor old Daniel with his mates, probably having a chat, maybe eating some fruit and vegetables. I don't know. And they get a knock on the door saying, right, you're all going to (laughs) die. You can just imagine their reaction. What's going on here? What's happening? And Daniel asks, and he says, why? Why are we to die? And it's all is explained to them. He says, Daniel goes off to the king and says, look, give me some time, and I will interpret the dream. And he goes back to his house. He shares this with his friends, who were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are later then named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A little bit later on in Daniel. And it says they plead for mercy from God. And during the night, Daniel gets an interpretation of the dream. And then it says, and we pick it up in verse 20. It says, Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, and this is what I read at the beginning of our service, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things and knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to to us, the dream of the king. And then it goes on to say, and we'll read the rest of Daniel. It says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took, the Dan- took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation, and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood the large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance." I'm sorry, losing the point there. Uh, The head of the statue was made of pure gold. 
its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes were partly iron and partly clay. So this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. It's an amazing dream. As we read that, it's an amazing dream and one that only God could have been able to give the interpretation to Daniel. But what does it all mean? What does it all mean and what does it do to help us try and understand the question I posed earlier on as why we are so divided? See, many theologians and scholars have kind of looked at this uh, tried to interpret this dream, and I'm no expert, but I have a few thoughts. The statue that you see on the screen there represents the most powerful kingdoms in the world over time. Now, the first kingdom is Babylon, the head of gold. Okay? Uh, the first real power. The second kingdom, not as precious as silver, is the Persian kingdom. It's what we see as Iran today. Uh, Very interesting uh, muscles that are being flexed at the moment between America and Iran. Um, The third kingdom, bronze, a metal not seen as precious as before the other two, uh, seen as the empire of Greece under Alexander the Great uh, that ruled over all the earth, tells us here in scripture in Daniel. The fourth kingdom of iron, You see how the metals are kind of getting less and less valuable. They've changed in their worth. But this kingdom was to crush and destroy. And this is seen as the Roman Empire. Uh, And they did exactly that. They crushed and destroyed. I'm going to read verse 41 and 43 again. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron... So this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. 
as the toes were partly iron and partly clay. So this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. I don't know about you, but that kingdom sounds very familiar. Very familiar. A kingdom divided. A mixture of people that are not united. See, many end-time scholars have kind of tried to understand what this is. Some say that actually Rome never died. That Rome, even when it was destroyed, was kind of... Um, taken over by the barbarian hordes, the Germanic tribes, and actually it's infiltrated back into Europe. Some suggesting that Rome never quite died, which is where we kind of like see the strength there in that very final uh, kingdom. It's a possibility. It's a strong possibility. But I believe that this kingdom goes further than just, say, Europe. Europe is divided, even though it's part of this continent that wants to be together. It's divided. 51% of those that voted in the UK referendum to leave Europe wanted to leave. 49% said, no, we wanted to stay. We're divided as a nation. Nations are dividing because of the differences that people have. America is divided more than I think I've ever seen it. We've got genocides that have been committed because somebody is different. Islam is divided into two parts, Sunni and Shia. Christianity is divided. I've never heard people ask me so much, are you Protestant or Catholic, as I have done recently. Are you this denomination? Are you that denomination? We're also divided in a lot of churches on doctrine and theology with brothers and sisters in Christ, even though Jesus prays for us in John 17 to remain united as brothers and sisters. So I repeat verse 43. So the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. But there is hope. There is hope. And it's all about this rock. It's all about this rock. In verse 34, it says that while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. He struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So this rock that hits the feet basically is the final, the final empire. The reason it brings down the whole statue is because it's hitting the base, it's hitting that foundation, and that foundation 
He's so weak. The rock then becomes this huge mountain that fills the whole earth, that reigns forever. Now, I don't have to ask you who this rock is, do I? Do we know who it is? Is that? It's Jesus. It's as simple as that. It is Jesus. My understanding of this is that Christ, coming 2,000 years ago to establish his kingdom, he said, I will come again. Rescue is coming. He will come again. For me, Revelation 19 and 20 are the fulfilment of this, where it talks about uh, the rider on the white horse. That's the rock here, isn't it? (laughs) The rider on the white horse that will come. It says that Jesus says that the hour or the day will not be known when Christ will return. Not even the Son knows, only the Father in heaven. So even Jesus himself does not know when he's to return. I rejoice in the scriptures for this. I rejoice in the fact that we are living in a kingdom that is divided. And for me that suggests that Christ is soon. That rescue is coming soon. Don't know exactly when. Don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But my prayer is of that of the conscientious objector, Desmond Doss. And if you saw the film recently, Hacksaw Ridge, he refused to fight, refused to pick up a gun. And what he did say I will do is I will pull you off of the battlefield and get you back to safety. And his prayer through the whole of it, genuine, was please, Lord, Help me get one more. Help me get one more. And that's my prayer. My prayer is whilst we might be living in a divided kingdom, whilst we might be in those final days, we are still charged to say, please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more for the kingdom. Help me rescue one more person. When you rescue all of us, help me to rescue that one person. Please, Lord, help me get one more. And it says that when Christ comes, he will establish his reign and his rule for a thousand years. That's pretty cool. That he will judge the living and the dead that the enemy himself will be thrown into the pit and then we'll live forever in eternity. Rescue is coming. Let's just keep a watch out for it in these end times. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who rescues, that you are a God who has sent his son. And Father, many have kind of tried to to understand this scripture of Daniel and Father, the way we see it 
is that that rock that is not cut out by human hands, but only by you, is your son destroying the enemy's foothold, destroying the kingdom of man and establishing your rule and your reign. Father, we can keep looking to the end and thinking, come Lord, come, please be quick. But actually you still charge us to just save one more, save one more, save one more. So Father, imprint that upon us when we look upon the world around us today and are confused by it, where it's divided. Help us as Christians to take your prayer and be united to get one more, to get one more, and to get one more. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.